Nation. My name is Anthony Delgado. And on today's episode of the Disrupt Podcast, we interview Warren Bailey. Warren has been a hacker and IT professional for over 15 years. His newest venture is working on bringing 5G internet connectivity to the island of Puerto Rico as a replacement for home internet service. He's bringing it to schools, he's working on bringing it to residences, and he's starting right in Old San Juan in the heart of Puerto Rico. He is from California, recently moved to Puerto Rico, and in this fireside chat, which we conducted during Disrupt Week, we talked to him about his plans for the future of data connectivity in Puerto Rico and how he's seen the market evolve over the past decade. Enjoy. Uh, in 2004, they formed the Science and Technology Trust of Puerto Rico, uh, which is essentially a nonprofit that invests in technology projects here on the island. And they transformed this former correctional facility into an innovation hub. Right. So we've been talking about, you know, how we can use technology to stop recidivism, how we can use it as a, a tool to help help our communities. And what you're doing here on the island, I think, is really really important. Uh, you're bringing. Uh, fiber internet and 5G and some of the, the most uh, powerful internet um, available here in Puerto Rico. So uh, I want to give you the opportunity to just tell people more about your company and, and uh, what your plans are. So uh, my name is Warren Bailey and uh, and I'm the chief executive officer of, of Isla Wireless. So uh, I guess a little bit about me first, right? Um, so I'm 35. I started in, in uh, the information technology sector. Uh, my first job was for a guy named Kim.com, so I did network security and penetration testing in Munich, Germany for about a year and a half, and then I went and moved to New York, and I merged from a lot of Nah, I did the mega car. So he did mega upload, like, later on in life, but I did the mega car. I used to work for a company called Data Protect in Munich, Germany, so doing pen testing and stuff. Uh, but I'm from Alaska. I would test pens. Um, so yeah, I uh, I'm from. Oh, okay. Sorry, non non nerd. So I would hack the planet. That was my whole jam. I was I was a really well known hacker all through like the late nineties and, and early two thousands. So people would pay you to hack them, so that if someone else tried to hack them, they wouldn't be able to get hacked. Yeah, in the like the late nineties. So like network security wasn't really that big of a thing, but it was still a thing. So I'm from Alaska, and uh, almost my entire career has been spent in rural connectivity. So uh, I worked for a, a large MSO, a multi-service operator called GCI up in Alaska. We ran the biggest uh, statewide uh, uh, cable modem platform. We had uh, Alaska United uh, East and West, which was a fiber ring going from Anchorage, Alaska down to to uh, Seattle and uh, Washington, Oregon. We had a statewide uh, satellite network that we delivered rural tele telecommunications with. So Alaskan villages would uh, uh, um, contract us to do uh, connectivity for, say, uh, rural healthcare facilities, for um, schools, for you know, stuff like that, jails sometimes, correctional facilities, stuff like that. Um, when I started coming down here, uh, like earlier this year, I started noticing that there was a lot of, of, of I, there was a lot of things that had, had I'd seen before in, in the rural telecommunications scene of Alaska that I was seeing here. There's a huge lack of access, just in general access. Nobody really runs like last mile here. Um, we don't have in, in uh, Puerto Rico a, a solid infrastructure. You know, PrepaNet went out and I think they spent like $100 million, yeah, for overhead fiber, right? So when, when there's like a, a, a light breeze, the whole PrepaNet ring is down. So 
we looked at things a little bit differently. We, we look at things, so we're a, an eligible telecommunications carrier. So the FCC, while the Junta here in Puerto Rico designated us as an ETC, um, the Junta uh, believes that as a facilities-based carrier that we can deliver things like by flying, so like uh, equal access to 911, broadband services for schools, for clinics, for libraries, stuff like that, high cost. So what, what we looked at is, is we looked at saying, you know, we don't really care that there's a whole bunch of incumbents here because the incumbents don't offer managed services. And this is one of the biggest problems that this island has. People get sold things and then they have no idea how to maintain them. And additionally, they don't have the budget to continue down that road. So we're cloning essentially my old employer's model of coming in and doing managed broadband services through being a USF recipient. So, for example, when we go deliver uh, uh, a school, you know, a, a low-income school or something, the federal government pays 90% of the, of the actual service charge. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're a USF recipient. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we don't do T1s. We do a couple hundred megabits, but yeah. A hundred megabits, yeah, plus. But yeah, so uh, there are federal programs out there that allow facilities-based carriers like us to backfill a giant fund that we all collectively pay into called the Universal Service Fund. And that th those funds are equally distributed to low-income. It, it, it's meant to make sure that the people that are in the rural areas are getting equal access to the people in the you know, urban populations. Well, that's even the problem with states. Oh, no, this is where it came from. Actually, Puerto Rico's really not even getting that big of a subsidy yet. There's Now, Puerto Rico's more on the radar, and Ajay Pai, who's the head of the FCC, has got a big sweet spot for years. So now, some real big federal funds. But before, there's a, a program called CAF, the Connect America Fund, which is bidding on different rural regions to be able to roll into. That wasn't available in, in Puerto Rico at all. So we, we knew that we were never going to make a business out of coming here and trying to charge people. So we knew that we had to go in and get federal subsidies. But as I was doing this, and, and as we were looking at, at what kind of services to provide, it kind of came like, uh, it came to me like, I don't know, maybe like six weeks ago. So I read this thing online, it was some article of Bloomberg or some bullshit like that, but it was saying that 33% of the population of the students in Puerto Rico are special needs. The national average is like 13, right? So there's been a class action lawsuit since the mid-70s on essentially providing disabled people access in a whole bunch of different capacities. But the major part of the class action is providing special access education to students. This has never happened. So what I think is, is I think that, you know, you have a big storm, you have a whole bunch of, of, of lack of funds from, from the beginning. Now we're walking into a place that essentially there's going to be zero education. Now that we're having to shut all these schools down and now they're going to, going to consolidate, there's no special education, no special needs uh, curriculum, anything in these schools. And I think that that's going to end up making the jail population in, in this country uh, stagnant. In the next 15 or 20 years, I think lack of education is going to con contribute to the, to the population of places like these jails, right, for, for decades to come. And so um, allowing mental health professionals to connect People can't be driving all over this island using things like telepresence and telemedicine, using things like distance education, distance learning, to say, listen, we know that we have a lack of teachers, but if we put them all in one room, we can cover 40 classrooms in an entire island at the same time. So we decided to bundle our service to saying, look, we know that you guys don't have the budget to maintain this stuff, 
So it's going to be effectively You have to pay a little bit, it's 10%, but we'll figure that part out. In addition to the fact that these guys don't have the ability really to, to, to take the time to isolate what the perfect, you know, we have, like, what is it, 73 different municipalities around here. 73, right? Different municipalities. 78, sorry. sorry. But, uh, you know, we, we've got all these different municipalities, which each are individually responsible for their own school district, for their own fire department. And so it's, it's created this, this, um, this disheveled feeling between everyone where, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know, but when you dial 911, there's only two peace apps on the whole island, right? So when you dial 911 and you're in Vieques, for example, they're going to call just the phone numbers on the sheet. And, and then maybe Mark in Vieques will pick up and say, hey, hello, and somebody chopped their leg off down the road, go send a deal. And then he calls a cop. So it's, you know, emergency services are 15, 20 minutes out best case in a lot of these cases and so just by using these these kind of I mean there's so much federal money out here there's so many different opportunities to get 911 services placed in and, and there are federal regulations that require us to say for example phone companies to report these locations but, but the piece up here in Puerto Rico doesn't have a software suite that allows them to read that information so they just ask you where you're at so we feel like uh, helping the infrastructure of Puerto Rico come online a little bit more by allowing connectivity to interact with maintenance uh, is going to be our sweet spot. So yeah, we have a fiber that we're getting ready to run in Old San Juan. We've got a pretty big uh, LTE access platform that we're getting ready to run out. But our whole gym is like rural schools, libraries, clinics, these places that really don't have any connectivity at all. So that's what we do. Sorry for being long. Oh, thank you. Um, so. The, the services you're saying that you're not providing consumer services, you're providing them strictly to like municipalities and governments and um, really reaching places that, um, I guess, without a wireless um, uplink, they, they wouldn't have any type of connection, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really care how you get the internet. It doesn't really matter to me whether or not I deliver it wirelessly or whether or not I, I deliver fiber to the school or something. That, that kind of doesn't matter to me. But, you know, uh, the whole idea behind between 5G, and people ask all the time, like, oh, 4G and 5G, and am I gonna get cancer and stuff? But, you know, 5G is meant to, to take a whole bunch of incongruent radio spectrum and piece it all together heterogeneously. So like right now, if you wanna use Wi-Fi, you gotta find an SSID, and you gotta know the password, and you gotta know all this other bullshit. In the future, in 5G, that Wi-Fi access point isn't its own little deal, it's just a, a spoke. Of, of the rest of, of these different networks. And so you won't even know that you're using uh, Wi-Fi. You won't know that you're using 2.4 gigahertz or 5.8 or 700 megahertz, or you won't know if you're using cellular or something. It's all collapsed. It's, it's a heterogeneous network. So to add on to that, now what we're trying to do is, is we built all the cell sites, and that didn't really work for us. It was difficult, it was hard, the equipment's super expensive, people steal shit off the cell sites all the time. It just didn't really work for us. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but um, but we, we you know as, as time goes on and as as five G begins to develop into, into more something like cohesive, we're looking at taking all these different radio spectrums and attaching all the radios into a single core, so that when you come into this building here, that access point up there, yeah, it's Wi Fi, but you don't realize that it's providing <coughs> cellular. You're going to receive a telephone call on that. The same way that if you go off in the boonies, maybe there's a satellite connection there. And so what we try to do, or what we're trying to do in 5G, is make the band a little bit less relevant 
and say, we have all of these things to choose from and you'll automatically roam on depending on, on who your provider is. So we're out here, we're one of the first neutral host brands in the world. So neutral host means that AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, Open Mobile, they can use our networks as well. So they've got the outside kind of sort of covered. That's not really our jam. We put up self sites places, but our jam is buildings like this. It's where you're using more resources to punch through these windows. You're using more resources to get into these, to these spaces than it's actually worth. And so that's the issue is you get shitty cell phone service down the road because we're all sitting inside of this building, all using up more power than we generally would need to if we were outside because of the walls. So hyperdensification is saying, okay, we understand we all have these different dynamic data needs. Why don't we stop using these as just Wi-Fi transmitters and have them have maybe three or four different radios inside of them or these different access platforms. Our phones are going to increasingly have dual band radios. They're going to have dual radios of dual band, quad band, you know, eight different bands that these things can, can support. <clears throat> the idea behind it is, is that your phone being hot, that's only a function of having to use a lot of power. Like when you're on it and you're inside of a building, you're like, damn, my handset is hot as hell. That's only because you are having to use a lot of power to get outside this building. So better battery life for customers, higher data rates, bigger offload, bigger shared spectrum usage. There's a whole bunch of different things coming, but at the end of the day, it's all about consolidating these different bands that, that used to be. I mean, 2.4 gigahertz is what this thing's using. It's the same thing as a microwave oven. 2.45 gigahertz is what microwave ovens use to make your food hot. So that's the only reason they use that band is because it's the industrial science and, and medical band. That band was cleared for, all right, if you guys want to use this to do something, it's just that the microwave oven guy said, we could use 2.4 gigahertz to make food hot. Well, now when you run your, your microwave, your Wi-Fi dies. It wasn't something that they had anticipated. So this round, you know, the 3GPP, which is the governing body for the Gs, the 4G, the 3G, the 5G, all this LTE, um, that long-term evolution play is saying, we don't really care how you're coming in. We care about how we're dealing with the data, and we care about how we're dealing with it on a provider level and then as a roaming provider level. So, yeah, our, our networks, you know, we, don't, we don't look at things like, you know, this customer has to come in over LTE or this customer has to come in a fiber. Whatever is the cheapest and whatever is going to get the job done, we generally try to do. Um, so is Puerto Rico going to be, like, one of the first uh, places with 5G penetration? I mean, it's what it, hey, it's a family show. Um, no, but is it going to be one of the first places where there is 5G? I mean, I'm in New York, and I don't hear about them rolling out 5G there anytime soon, and you're not the only person that I've met who's rolling out 5G. So 5G is kind of one of those things right now that this is the same thing as saying we used IPv4 yesterday, and we migrated to IPv6 today, right? So your future compatible but the, the benefits aren't exactly clear today. And so 5G right now, so the, so the actual specification, 5G new radio, just came out maybe eight weeks ago, something like that. So anybody who says they're running 5G has got some vendor who's saying, yeah, we're gonna pre-release of the, of, the, of the specification we built in a new radio. Everybody's playing right now. It's, we're not looking at, at total 5G-like startup until 2020. So we've got a customer down here that it's actually a nationwide uh, communications customer, but we're helping them build out a narrowband IoT platform down here. So they have a whole bunch of different spectrum that they have to use and, and pin up, and, and we're helping them uh, uh, put up some, some transmitters out here. But in terms of will this place be the 5G, I, I think that 5G, 
when it comes out, when it becomes real, that Puerto Rico will end up being one of the first places. There's a couple guys in Europe that end up having like a little bit of, of, of say with these guys or the equipment vendors. But as far as the United States goes, I would imagine that it's us down here in Puerto Rico. There's a guy out in Tennessee. There's a guy in Austin, Texas, and then there's a dude in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And those will be the first ground up 5G networks in, in pretty much the United States. But what we're doing down here is going to reflect heavily on these other guys who are doing nationwide 5G plays. And I can't really discuss who our customer is, but they're one of the biggest you know, media providers in the United States for sure. So as, as we go down this getting to know 5G and getting to understand what it is, I mean, it took us to get 4G. It took us a good six and a half, seven years to just get 4G rolled out. So you're talking about still having you have guys like Verizon and AT&T who had to, had to sell bonds to, to, uh, to finance their network. They still have to pay those bonds off before they can start going and building another network. And unfortunately, 4G radios and 5G radios are not forward and backwards compatible. It's a, it's a hard uplift, which is why some guys around, around the United States haven't even launched their 5G network yet. So yeah, Puerto Rico will end up being wholeheartedly one of the first pure 5G markets. But that's just because you have a number of guys and you have a very small so everybody wants to come out here and, and kind of show off. But I don't know that guys like T-Mobile and, and AT&T will necessarily put a whole lot of effort in this place. Well, well it's almost like a presentation of a small conference, right? So you, you, can, you can go and kind of test things here. And it doesn't only apply to 5G. It applies to all sorts of tech startups, right? You can, you can go if you want to roll out an Uber app, a food delivery app, but any sort of piece of technology. You have a very small um, test bed where you can come and say, oh, okay, we can get the entire island of Puerto Rico on 5G, maybe quicker than we could get all five boroughs in Manhattan, possibly, right? Um, and, and I think there's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the governments are more open to innovation, maybe, and they may be uh, a, little, a little more able to move faster than, than you could have maybe So like Puerto Rican pride is New York pride times 100,000 million, right? So, uh, so um, I, I think that that probably plays a larger part into it. That's that Puerto Ricans love Puerto Rico and they love Puerto Ricans talking about Puerto Rico and they love the people who come here talking about Puerto Rico. And so anything that makes people talk about Puerto Rico is pretty kosher in their book. Um, We've had immense support from the Junta, the Telecommunications Regulatory Board here in Puerto Rico. We've had immense support from you know local business owners and you know the governor and all different people. I think what it comes down to is is that you know not not to say that the guys who are running the infrastructure today don't know what they're doing, but I think that they're too busy trying to figure out what they should be doing. And so you get guys like us who are nimble. You know our teams like. 12 dudes in an office somewhere, you know, we all hang out and drink beer at noon and stuff. And it's a different vibe than, than what you would traditionally find with like Claro or, or, you know, someone of that nature, right? We can just go do things how we want to. And that, I think that really bothers them. So the only pushback that we've really gotten, really, is the our, our competition. Guys are like, oh, you guys are full of shit. You guys are going to come do this, huh? I mean, we're about to order four kilometers of fiber to do all of old San Juan. So, you know, we'll put our money where our mouth is, but at the end of the day, I, I think that infrastructure in Puerto Rico is going to become, if not the most critical thing that people talk about. People talk about power and everything else. 
you'll go without lights if you have internet. Right? <laughs> I mean, there, there's a pretty short, like, we got candles and stuff, right? Long as you got the internet, it's like, all right, it's not so bad here. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm saying. We'll, we'll use rocks and sticks and everything to make fire. But yeah, internet's like, it's not fast enough. So, I mean, I, I went through this same thing with, uh, I used to work, after I left Alaska, I went and worked at Panasonic Avionics. So I built out a global uh, satellite network for, for aircraft. Man, this internet sucked. And, oh, this is the worst experience ever. And the only thing I could ever think was like, I worked my ass off to give you internet over the Pacific Ocean at like 42,000 feet doing 800 miles an hour. And you're like, it wasn't fast enough. I couldn't watch Netflix. So, you know, pe people get pretty acclimated to connectivity pretty quickly. And I, I think that, I mean, connectivity, especially over, over long term with where our children are and how these different uh, uh, PEDs, right, personal electronic devices, whether it's a phone or an iPad or, you know, learning pad or whatever the hell it ends up being. These things, as people are experiencing more and more connectivity, this is going to become almost as important as water. It will become, connectivity will become one of the, one of the uh, paramounts of our civilization and then even as we start going you know Elon like talking about going to Mars and all that stuff like you gotta get the internet there somehow they're not gonna hang out at the Mars bar and like not watch Netflix right so you know look, just looking at it from you know a 15-20 year plan I think that, that there's a possibility that we might get it right and I hear a lot about like oh yeah 5G and health benefits and stuff like that we talked about this before but the only thing that I would have to say about that is is that you know Anybody who's telling you that there are, are uh, possible health problems with, with radios hasn't ever designed a radio network. They just haven't. It, this is any transmitter that you put too much power through can cause cancer. That's how it goes. You know, uh, when you microwave food and you can look through the little deals, there's a reason why all of the little holes are, are circles and not squares. It's because it's a square wave. When you look at it on a spectrum airways, it's a square wave that's heating your food up. That's the best, the best way that would catch the water molecules inside your food. So the little circles make the squares stop. Simple as that. So there's just little things that we, we could have done better over the last maybe 60s, 70s, and in the 80s. And you know, we, we did with what we could. And now there's this massive demand for everybody wanting fast Facebook and fast porn, right? <laughs> so we use the internet for it's like 50% like of the whole internet is porn, the rest is Netflix. So as we understand what our utility, it's not, no, seriously, that's what the internet's used for, is porn and Netflix. When, and some, yeah, sometimes gambling and sometimes Facebook. But um, as we understand what, what needs and, and um, what requirements are, I think we'll be a lot better at delivering it. But I hope that, that Puerto Rico is one of those places that becomes a, a boilerplate for what we can do. This is the hardest that it's going to be out here. In Alaska, it's the hardest that it's going to be. These remote islands of the United States, these are the hardest installs that these national providers are going to have to do. So if they nail this shit down here, they're going to nail Houston. They're going to nail St. Louis. They're going to nail Seattle. They all know that they can just drive it in. So that's what we're doing down here. And we hope that, that you know, as a, as a result of, of our work, that we can do things like keep people out of jail, you know, keep people out of mental health institutions, just generally take care of the people who got, you know, who were forgotten. Dude, thank you so much for, for being on the panel. Thank you so much for, for building the future of Puerto Rico, man. I appreciate you. <laughs>